On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Russia's signals. Welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and tonight I'm joined by my very good friends Tom Corcoran, Ken Gregory, and Paul Zotter as we continue on in our discussion of the Rush catalog, tonight dealing with the somewhat controversial album, Signals. Welcome to our discussion on Rush Signals. Yeah. It's been too long. Be, it's been what, like three weeks? Glad to be here. I know, right? It's been quite the, uh, quite the hiatus. Yeah. So, Signals was released, apparently, on 9th of September, 1982. So this is right in the middle of when all of the, the prog bands were sort of transforming. Produced, as usual, by Rush and Terry Brown, although this will be the last time we get to say that, was released on the label um, Anthem and Mercury, depending on where you were, and um, featured, you know, the, the normal lineup of Getty, Alex, and Neil. The track listing is, uh, starts out with subdivisions, going into the analog kid, chemistry, digital man, the Weapon, which is part two of Fear, New World Man, Losing It, and then Countdown. Signals is the ninth studio album by Canadian rock band Rush, released in 1982. It was the follow-up to the successful Moving Pictures. Stylistically, the album was a continuation of Rush's foray into the technology-oriented 1980s through increased use of electronic instrumentation, such as synthesizers, sequencers, and electric violin. The album reached number 10 on the Billboard album charts and was certified platinum, 1 million copies sold, by the RIAA in November 1982. So, you know, just from that alone, Rush has come a long way at this point. And obviously, you know, um, and it would be interesting to maybe go back and look at... Uh, at the the sales volume starting from 2112 but here you've got um you've got an album that goes platinum in what was that a mere three months mm. brilliant which you know that's that's a in 1982 that's a band that's doing it right and ironically you know this is this again i, I remember it must have been in the winter of 82 which would have put me at 12 years old one of my brothers um, was given this record for Christmas because I remember the fire hydrant and the dog, which we can talk about if we so desire. Um, but in in typical fashion of whatever, um, I, I want to say I, my memory could be faulty, but I, I, my memory says that whichever one of my brothers got this did not want it and returned it for something else. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, may I interject the competition <laughs> of 1982 in the album category? Uh, Please do. Please do. Um, the Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden, Thriller, Ooh. Michael Jackson, Screaming for Vengeance, Judas Priest. There was a lot going on, man. Um, I got to tell you, The Scorpions, Blackout, Van Halen, Diver Down, um, Night Ranger, you know, Dawn Patrol, Under the Blade, Twisted Sister. There was a lot of activity in the, in the, in the rock, hard rock arena. Yeah, and... Wow. and among those, you also have Flock of Seagulls with their self-titled debut. You also have John Cougar's American Fool and Toto's Four. And oh. I'm, I'm submitting those particularly because I think particularly also, I would say, like Michael Jackson's Thriller. Because I think sonically... It it will be it will become an interesting comparison as we talk through the sound of this album compared to what else was out there in the uh, in 1982. And don't forget, Asia's uh, debut was 1982 as well. Ah, brilliant addition. Yes, and, and we've already covered that album. And we are only one year away from the groundbreaking 90125. Yes, yes, <laughs> yet to be covered. Yet to be covered. We will get back to them. So, you know, it, my relationship with Signals, so I, I've already described. Um, Eye in the Sky by um, Alan Parsons' project, Ken. Yeah. Was this yeah, year, that, too. That veers into the Prague territory, whether we recognize it or not. Yeah. Actually, I heard that song today i asked did you yes i asked alexa to play progressive rock and that was the first song she played for me today. amazing <laughs> amazing so yeah <laughs> that's that's not right at all so so i already described how you know i sort of as as a as a younger teenager you know, I I came in at Grace under pressure, and I knew from then forward. And then it was much later on in life that I got into sort of the back catalog, even though I had, um, even though I had never really listened to it, I'd had Caress of Steel for a very very long time, um, and and oddly enough, Signals for whatever reason was sort of like. One of the last of the the pre Grace Under Pressure albums that kind of clicked for me. It was weird. I, I can't really explain it. And you know, for me being me, and and, and really what what kind of juiced me about this, you know, the the genetics of Signals is so perfectly situated between Moving Pictures and Grace Under Pressure. Um, it just, you can clearly see, you know, that, that transition through this album. And, uh, you know, there again, I, my recollection is I was mowing the yard listening to this when I sort of figured this out and I had this epiphany and I went back in to the house. Um, cause obviously, you know, at that time, I guess I was probably listening on cassettes or some shit, but I had to go in and look at the actual discs and, and line up the dates. And I said, whoo. 
look, I learned something, which was very exciting. <laughs> I think it's interesting, Joe, that you, you bring up the sonic pathway between moving pictures and grace under pressure. Because um, I, I do, I really have mixed feelings about signals, I have to tell you, because as I listen to this, and there is so much about signals that is, is just near perfection when you listen to it. And yet, by and large, as an album, my reaction to it is kind of like, meh. <laughs> it, it for whatever reason and every time i listen to it song by song i'm like yeah this is a cool song yeah this is a cool song but at the same time i listen to it and i'm like they they're not this is one of the first albums where even though they're definitely it's a transitional album for me like from where they're going from one place to another but this is the first album where i really don't feel like they they're moving forward right they're trying to move forward but for me i'm just not buying it you know and there's some magic on on this record so it's really it's re i'm really torn about it and ken I, I i think you had mentioned in one of our earlier discussions how they only recorded like seven tracks for permanent waves and they only recorded the same number for moving pictures and you were like where are all the extra songs like you know when they remastered these they didn't have any demos or anything like that and i'm thinking yeah they had extra tracks it's called signals <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean do any of you guys like, have a reaction to that the like to me i just feel and maybe it's because i came into this after i heard i heard you know grace under pressure moving pictures and I had the, the, the greater context for me, it just kind of feels like they're stuck somewhere that they're, they're not getting there. Paul, you have um, a similar reaction. Uh, you and I have similar reactions to this. It sounds like I have, um, I mean, subdivisions and new world man, I think are fantastic. And like you mentioned, the other, the other songs on here, are, are great i mean they're they're fun um they're well put together but there isn't anything on this album where i'm like i have to hear it like i don't think i would go back to this album um from from here on i don't i don't see myself going back to signals in the near future i mean i definitely will always love subdivisions and and New World Man and Analog Kids is a great song, and 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 and, and there's and there's other fun songs, but it doesn't have the peaks and valleys as the other ones do. It doesn't have like the great moments. It's just kind of like even keel. Um, mm. After you know subdivisions, that is. I mean, subdivisions is a classic, and you know, I mean, what what can you say about? That, that great song. Yeah, but. I I can tell you what I can say about subdivisions. It's it's one of my least favorite Rush songs of um really of all wow. time. Yeah. Oh well, then you really don't like it's possible. Well, it's not that I don't like it. It's it's just it's just one of my least favorites. I mean, if there's uh, a skippable skippable track on this album to me, oh, <laughs> oh, 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 o
are doing so well. <laughs> oh. oh, man. All right. That hurts. That hurts. Wow. I'm just curious, Paul. Have you heard the acoustic version of Subdivisions by Canadian Jacob Moon? Yeah. No? I have. I'd rather listen to that than the one from Signals. I honestly would. And we, and we, Joe and I saw him perform that live at the Marillion show. Um, he opened up for Marillion in Montreal, and brilliant. he he performed brilliant. it live, and it was brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But doesn't that speak to the songwriting? Doesn't that speak to the content of the tune? I think that it does, <laughs> and, and yet still, <laughs> it's on the very, it's it's very low on the list of Rush songs. Right. What about Getty's bass fill? Come on, how do you so, not I, love that? So I I think that that is what it, that is the the what characterizes this album for me is that there is so I can't argue with anything about subdivisions there there it and I know that it is. You know, it is like the quintessential Rush tune. But for me, it's just like, it's just all vanilla. It's ev every, everything is perfectly where it belongs. And, uh, you know, the suburbs have no charms to uh, whatever the line is. To yeah. the rest. Of, yeah, great. Okay. And, and I, may be, I may be feeling extra strong this way i i'm not even going to go there never mind i just, well, no, uh, it's, no, just I, it's just how i feel there are a lot of faults there he uh neil peart rhymes smooth with soothe which always rubbed me the wrong way um never never quite sounded like a chorus to me and you know back then it didn't make me buy it i don't think i it, i think it was on mtv so much i didn't have to buy it um, may have recorded it off of FM radio with my cassette boombox. So, so I, 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 I can, I can relate with what you're saying on that level. I'll give it to you there. Well, and, and you know, I, I've been thinking about this and, and one of the things that, you know, I've sort of come across as I've been preparing for this. And, and one of the things that, that sort of comes across, and certainly in in this album, as you know, as as the the Getty starts bringing the the keys to the front of of the class, so to speak. You know, we we've spent a lot of time talking about the virtuosic nature of these three individuals, and by his own admission, Getty Lee is not a great keyboard player. So while you know, and if you think, you know, again, if you think back to when Eddie Van Halen decided he was going to be a keyboard player, Eddie Van Halen was, you know, and is an exceptional keyboard player. And so it didn't matter if Eddie was on the keys or the guitar, it was it was equally as compelling. Whereas Getty, and certainly, you know, while I absolutely love subdivisions, I can certainly acknowledge the fact that you know, a lot of it is driven by a very basic keyboard line. And, you know, the, you know, our, the guys in Leave That Thing Alone, one of the, one of the points they make, and it's, it's valid. When you have Getty playing keyboards, you don't have Getty playing bass, which is what you want. So, you know, it, and I don't know, Paul, if that's what's driving this for you, but, you know, I, I, to a certain degree, I can understand that, and but for me, I still don't care. 
even with all of that, I think Subdivisions is exceptional. And the the one beef that I have with the lyrics, because again, and I think I think the highlights of this album and Subdivisions being one of them is is really sort of you know the the highlights of Neil as a lyricist. There are some things on this album that he gets really, really good. Um, there are some things he gets really, really not good as well. Um, and, and I think as a, on the whole, I think subdivisions is one of those, one of those really, really good parts. Um, there's, there's a lot of the imagery that he uses, the, the structure of the words, is is interesting to me and you know it's it's so obvious but me being you know a product of the suburbs i get it and and i like the fact that i didn't even get it until later on in life but you know the last verse is all about those people who escape the suburbs and eventually just want to go back anyway because they didn't find what they wanted when they went out very very cool and all that being said the the one the one beef I have with this, with the lyric, and it's been driving me crazy every time I've listened to this album, and I've listened to this album a lot in over the last month, is, is um, and where is it here? Um, Nowhere is the dreamer or the misfit so alone. Misfit, mm -hmm. by definition, doesn't fit in anywhere. That's what a misfit is. So I, I get what he's saying. I, I appreciate the sentiment, but it drives me bonkers. Um, oh, you know, so, that. so that that's my that's my small beef with it. But you know, there there's there's a lot to the song that I really really do like. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. It, it, it hit me years later how awesome it is. In this exercise, it's in me, and I, 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 I dig it. I just, I, I think, I think the composition is really, really fantastic. You know, when and, and you know, look, just looking at this, this one, this one verse. Growing up, it all seems so one-sided. Opinions all provided. The future predecided. Detached and subdivided in the mass production zone. In that group of words, you know, he's he's perfectly, you know, describing a lot of, you know, the experiences that many of us had growing up, you know, and, you know, whatever. We, we all had it. You know, the expectation was we were all going to go to college. We were going to do this, that, and the other thing. You know, there wasn't any room for discussion among that. And then he very cleverly uses, you know, detached and subdivided, which... You know, you've got multiple layers there. You know, we, we've talked about, you know, the album covers and the multiple layers of this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, here what he's doing is he's using words that are used to describe the suburbs, but he's also fitting that into, you know, the, the these these affected youths and everything else. Um, so it, it I, I don't know, for me, it just, it really works. I like it. It works. Many levels. From subdivisions, we go right into the analog kid. 
Oh, I didn't hear Tom's opinion on subdivisions. Oh, yeah, that excellent point. Tom, where do you well, fall on the subdivisions? Um, <clears throat> well, Joe, you had an interesting point with, um, you know, uh, talking about Eddie Van Halen because, you know, we talk about these players like Eddie Van Halen or Geddy Lee or Alex or Neil, you know, they're the, they're the, the best of the best. You know, they're the people that everyone talks about when they talk about guitar, bass, drums. And, but you're only as good as the songs that you play. Uh, I mean, I think Eddie Van Halen is su successful, not just because you can play fast, but because they're, the classic songs, right? Sure. Um, and I think that in the case of Rush, and, and now we're talking about subdivisions, I think that they have come, this is an example, and I guess we'll talk about New World Men a little bit as we go down the, as we go down the line, but there are a couple really good songs on here that show that they're really coming to uh, they're really finding themselves from a, from a songwriting point of view. Uh, and it's the fact that the keyboard line is so simple shows a, a natural maturity because we know these guys can play. Uh, we know they can play a zillion things and Getty can be playing things on the, on the bass and have a bass pedal and be seeing some incredible thing. We know he can do all these things, but... Um, kind of just slowing it down a little bit, having a, a simpler part and having a, a great song like this shows me this was a sort of a, a pivotal a, a pivotal point, if you will, and of their songwriting, meaning that you don't have to do a lot of things um, to, be, to be good. And that just showed me that how what an important album this is and again you know i i don't this wouldn't be in my top half if you sort of <laughs> I, I sort of cut things down <laughs> the top half and bottom half it might be just in the bottom half but it you know it, it, it would it's i mean it's still it's still great um so i don't know i would just say that that subdivisions uh, means a lot because of what you just said about you know just having a simple keyboard line and still being a good song and just showing that you can do that without doing all the bells and whistle things that they do that ultimately you know make their songs great but uh, this is one of those things where it's not, it's not like that and it's still great so that's really all I was going to say. Tom, I'm curious if you think what you think about the guitar parts in subdivisions. I mean, honestly, I don't. I mean, I, it's just, it, you know why? You know why? Because I'm listening to the song. And I think that's what I'm supposed to be listening to. And yeah, if, if, I mean, there's... There's great parts of you know certain songs that we'll talk about. Oh, when the guitar solo comes in and this drum part, but the fact that I'm not really focused on any one part, I'm just in it with the song, tells me that I'm right where I should be. So nice. I don't, 
I don't I, I don't know anything about the guitar part. Really. Okay, well, um, everything you just said can and will be used against you in the Power Windows episode. Oh, no. <laughs> oh damn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, but on, on, on the sheet... <laughs> but, oh, no. but, on the but sheet you know criteria of melody, <laughs> I mean, melody being what Tom is saying here, melody is so key yeah. to subdivisions that you could take away some of the technology, some of the keyboards, and still have just a really beautiful, listenable song. Yeah, and I totally agree. I'm, I'm not, I, I, I'm totally in agreement with what he's saying, and I'm just prepping him for when he complains that there's not enough guitar in Power Windows. Um. <laughs> hey, I never said that. That's something Joe would say. Whoa! Oh. <laughs> Listen, what? Power, Power Windows is at the top of the top for me, buddy. You're uh, preaching to the choir on that. All right, good. Good, good, oh, good. God, you guys are killing me. So, <laughs> I, I, I made... Um, I made a note on on this, and I don't. It it's in between subdivisions and analog kids, so I'm not quite sure which one it applies to. So I'm going to throw it out here, um, thinking that it applies to subdivisions. And you guys tell me. I, I I honestly have no idea why I wrote this. So you tell me how crazy I am or not. My note says guitar solo is very forward looking to hold your fire. Whoa. I would say that's definitely a subdivisions comment. Um, yeah. So, it, you know, the, the, that's, I think that's one of the things that I love most about this record all, all over is that throughout all of, of signals, you can hear, you can hear like the future of rush. Like if you, if you already know about it, right? Like, you can hear like I would love I would love for someone to go back and and redo the album signals in like the vein of exactly what you're saying, Joe. Do it in the vein, do some of the songs in the vein of like uh, Grace Under Pressure, some in the in the vein of Hold Your Fire. Because I think that's what they were they were on their way to to getting there. They just they weren't equipped to do it. They you know, they, I don't think Terry Brown was, was 100% behind that direction. And I just think that they, they, they were heading in that way. And I would love to hear like some of these tunes. Uh, could you imagine like losing it in like the, in the, in the realm of like power windows with the instrumentation and the, and the arrangement of like Manhattan project? I mean, okay. oh my God! The, 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 the realm of power windows is nothing to brag about, but if, if you want to say the realm of culture <laughs> fire, that's another story. We are going to have the most cataclysmic palaver ever when we get to power windows. <laughs> oh God! The realm of power windows just frightens me. Wow! It's wow. not a realm. That see, for me, that's a transition. That's just like, oops, oops. <laughs> Oh, look what we stepped on. Oops. And the oh whole goodness. time we were giving Joe grief, we should have been giving you grief. <laughs> All right, at least we know where to shift our, our, our grievances. You know, when a couple 
episodes back, you know, I brought up the fact that, you know, there are in, in any given time frame, wherever you are in the rush timeline, you have people that are like, okay, this is the real rush, you know, the prog rock, or this is what I, you know, this is the good stuff. And, you know, yada, 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 yada. This was, if you guys were what, like 11, I was like 10 years old. Um, so this is still a little bit even before, you know, my sort of real time rush experience. Um, if you were in that place where you were, you had bought moving pictures and you were just on a high, like a rush high because of how great the album is. I can see where you would be a little dismayed at this album. Um, you know, they could have mixed a little bit more guitar in there. And they, they, I mean, they could have, they didn't have to go the complete right hand turn that they did. And, I, you know, I'm not necessarily complaining because, I mean, what we have after this is, I have no qualms yeah. of genius, um, you know, after this album. So I, I'm not necessarily. I, <laughs> yeah, I like I, your, I like your point, Tom, because you're right. If you were like on a high, from moving pictures, I could see how you would get signals and think, ah, eh, this is kind of sophomoreish, you know, right. com compared to that one. Like right. I, I definitely, and I don't, I think the guitar, I think, I mean, some of the guitars in here are like, I think they sound fantastic. I, th I don't think they were well-equipped. I don't, I don't think the synthesizers they were using, you know, compared to flock of seagulls. I mean, obviously there was a lot of wicked sounding things available to them. And they they were just still kind of using these old fashioned you know synths and and keys you know from the yeah but I mean listen the to the synth sound and Tom Sawyer I mean that was incredible I mean that yeah. was such a great part of that song um, you don't get that in any of these songs I mean you, you do Agreed. in some versions, but I mean in the in the other songs you just they mm. kind of they didn't quite nail it like they had in the past Agreed Agreed. So, um, it looks like technical difficulties will prevent Colby from joining us, but <laughs> he, did, um, he did text me everything. He wanted us to note that he only likes 37.5 of this album now, and he thinks it sounds like shit. So, maybe we'll follow up with him next week. <laughs> no. <laughs> to, uh, there you go. Maybe, very eloquent. Very, very eloquent. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, thirty-seven point five percent of an album. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if that translates to two songs on here or what, but uh, yeah, we'll 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 figure the math out later. Huh. Okay. All okay. Right. So, well, um, um, uh, yes? uh, Getty played uh, according to the wikis the Mini Moog Oberheim OBX. OBXA, Roland Jupiter 8, Moog Taurus Pedals, Oberheim DSX, Roland TR-808. The, the point being that, that those are still very highly valued, very highly sought after and maintained instruments from that area, era. So it's not like he had crap, but I, I think they just just didn't record with the same gusto they did on moving pictures. Yeah, I, you're right. I, I didn't mean to say that they were using crap. I think I just... <laughs> 
I think I was just like clearly there was an upgrade in gear between signals and and grace under pressure. That's all. Hmm. All right. So and and see, Paul, you were you were you were mocking me for labeling this album as somewhat controversial, and we've had lots of controversy <laughs> on just the first song. <laughs> Hey, so, can I quick add something real quick? I, I don't know if this. I want to go back to something Paul said um, because Paul, you weren't with us on the last album, Moving Pictures, and mm. you said something very important that had to do with um, one of my fun factoids from last week, and that is you said that they only do like seven or eight songs, and where are the extra songs? Oh, Signals. I thought that was kind of funny. But did you, uh, I don't know if this was last episodes, but get in an epi- in, in a, um, an interview, Getty Lee said that um, they have no songs in a vault. And if it wasn't good enough, they didn't use it. And so there will never be that sort of um, controversial King's X album, you know, whatever, Sunday Black Like Sunday, where it's all like the, the right. B-sides or whatever. Um, there's never going to be like a Rush B-side album. Thank goodness. Because he said that if they did, it wasn't good enough, they didn't use it. I don't know if that was one of last week's or not, if you were, had heard it. But I thought that was interesting because you had, you had um, made the joke about that being s- signals. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yes. Um, yeah. I uh, so I'm just gonna jump into Analog Kid. Um, what did did you did you did I miss your fun factoid for this one, Tom? Or are you holding it for the precise moment? Um, I'm uh, holding it for later. The, the yeah. So you know, incidentally, while we're talking about this, Tom, I think everybody should send you a picture of their dogs or dogs, and you should Photoshop uh, everybody's dog into the cover of Signals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny you should mention that. I was gonna, I was gonna suggest that for Dogman. <laughs> I would say, I was actually gonna suggest that for Dogman. I forgot. That's funny. You should bring this. You should. All right. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so analog. So analog kid is th- now this. I love this song, and um, me, Colby, and Jay actually did this song for quite a bit. And uh, a couple of things that really struck me about this when I was um, learning this back in the day is I could never quite really get my guitar to sound right, um, you know, and, you know, and it probably was just that I just had cheap gear. Um, Maybe because there's no guitar in the song. <laughs> oh, dude, there's the um, everything, every like this song just rocks and the it's just got a really good beat it's hard for me to have this song playing without like moving um and i'll never forget the um you know the guitar solo at the beginning of this it's like he kind of does like a a uh tremolo like dive it's like and he like and he brings it up and he goes like and whenever i would try to imitate that like colby would always say you know kind of coach me he would be like you know you got to get it a little bit like higher or whatever and he would always like hum it and as he would hum 
the 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 pitch coming up he was like he would say it's like an elephant and he would like put his arm against his face like a trunk and he would be like Oh, too bad he couldn't join us because he, he could actually demonstrate it. It would have been perfect. It would have been perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing I, that just really strikes me, and, and I'm interested because you know I know that we're getting into the into the realm here where Neil Peart's lyrics are are starting to become, you know, held into question. Um, for me, the lyrics of Analog Kid are terrific. That they're, they're the the imagery that they have and and that they evoke are, are always really special to me. I, I just I just really like it. I'm curious if, if you guys like it or not. I I love it. I mean, I I, I think it's a it's a great song. I think um, it's a, it's a step above most of the other ones. And. Um, mm. Um, I'm right there with it when it, when it when it kicks in, and it's it's after the song I sort of I, I drift a little bit, but Analog Kids definitely uh, definitely up there. Yeah, personally, I absolutely love this. Um, my notes include one of my favorites with two exclamation points, <laughs> and and Rush as a trio is kicking ass on mm. this track. Um, and you know, one of the things, you know, Paul, you talk about the, 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 the lyrics and the, the images it evokes and, you know, personally, I find the song structure here goes hand in hand with that. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the verses are, you know, almost hyperactive. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very fast very driving and then they dial it back then when you get into the the bridge and the chorus and the way that i sort of interpret that and and the way that that i process that which i find very very cool you know it's one of those things where you know you have those those moments where you know if if something happens and the world seems to kind of slow down around you in, in sort of a you know a you know, to use a, a cheesy cliche, a, you know, a matrix type moment. Right. Mm. And that's how I interpret the, the bridge and chorus structure stepping way back. You know, this, this kid's got all this stuff going on and you're sort of outside. Right. And you, you, you know, you see him laying in the grass, looking up, doing whatever it is. And then when you go inside and from, from his perspective, you know, he's got all this time to contemplate all this stuff. Mm. And you've got all this space that you're sort of operating in. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice, Joe. I think um, Tom and Tom and anyone can correct me if I'm wrong. I, that's a that's what I love about this stuff. It's so artistic, and you can take that thing. I think from a pure. Um, I think the songwriters of the world would say that's a huge faux pas to be changing point of view in the middle of, in the middle of the song. Right. Um, but I love the way you just described it, Joe, because it's, um, it's exact, it's exactly spot on. Yeah. It's great. I, I never even noticed it. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> the glory of the palaver right there. 
Now, now, Ken, a couple weeks ago, when we were still prepping for this before our little hiatus, you had uh, you had sent a text message, sort of suggesting that you were jamming on Analog Kid at that particular moment. So, was there something about this song at this point that maybe hit you differently, or had you always sort of felt that way, or do you not feel that way anymore? Oh, that's that's not in my guitar repertoire, but I I, I think I was um, vicariously. You know, remembering you know Paul's jams with Kobe and Jay and whatnot, and that um, yeah, that that was a highlight to to, to see those covers. And that, I think the Palaver should just let it all out there. I, I'm thinking the Palaver should just whatever cassettes we dig up and just little snippets and just re reveal the the horrible Rush covers we've done and, and 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 actually some a few good moments along the way. You know, air air the dirty laundry because. Um, you know, we, we talk to other musicians and we know they've been there too. I, I think it's just a rewarding experience. So hopefully, hopefully we have room for that in the flavor. Oh, we've got all the room in the world, Ken. <laughs> I think we should take, we should take, uh, all, we should take 30 seconds of every single recording that we have and have an episode where we do nothing but analyze the drum sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no doubt which i'll say once again it um the drums are sounding fantastic i think on um on signals on sig they're pretty dry right they're right, pretty right. dry yeah. yeah 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 i mean i mean i i think there's a bit more verb on moving pictures it's really interesting how tight signals is yeah it's it's very true the china boy is uh, back in full force as well um oh. Very much so. Not not that it ever went away, but yeah. After yeah. after he got it, it was there. Yeah, he he hasn't tired of it. And we haven't quite gotten to the full roto toms, have we? No. No, we we haven't. But I think that's moving pictures, or I think that's uh, power windows, right? Yeah, I think I think power windows is probably the advent of the roto toms. I just want to share at this moment how funny I think it is that Progressive Palaver has now entered the realm of like corporate America as we have one member who is unable to join the call because of technical difficulties of Skype. <laughs> oh. It's uh, it's very frustrating. Mm -hmm. Yes, the Palaver is a Microsoft whore, we admit. <laughs> well... We had a better option. I would certainly be willing to uh, consider it. We, we, we will sulk on the back of the MSFT as far as we can go. <laughs> <laughs> but is it blue milk? That's the question. Mm. Mm. All right. So Analog Kid, pretty spectacular. Um, yes, agreed. Yeah. And then there's chemistry. Now, you know, I feel almost professionally obligated to like this song because <laughs> I'm a chemist. Yes. And the song is called Chemistry. Yes. But I can't. And, and you know, I've, I've been, again, with our little hiatus, I've been listening to this album maybe a lot more than I've listened to some of the others that we prepped for. And, and I've struggled with this song. I have really, really struggled. There are some things about it that I kind of like. There are some things about it that I don't really like. 
Um, and, and, you know, I, I actually, I, I ripped this and downloaded it onto my phone so I could listen to it on my trip. Um, I've listened to it at my desk and I never pulled out the, um, the CD booklet until today. I wanted, I wanted to review some lyrics. Mm. And of course we all know that, you know, this is the last time that lyrics were not written um, by Neil. So apparently Getty and, and Alex brought these lyrics to Neil for his, uh, his polishing. And um, yeah, I thought they weren't good when I was listening to them. <laughs> right. And, as I read them and saw the way they're actually written out and, and what they're going for, yeah. I am now just completely offended. By wow. They ran out of the pot, I think. They just, whatever it was that made them interesting before, they, they ran out. I, you know, and, and, and I get it. I get what they're going for, you know, and, and I saw, um, well, let me see if I can get it up. I saw a quote from them on this. Um, where, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, when you do when you do chemistry and you put two things together, you know, you get the same thing every time because that's science. But when you put two people together, it doesn't always work out that way. Um So, you know, yeah, how clever is that? So I, I get what they're going for with that. But the problem is what, and, and maybe I'm too close to the subject, but there's, <laughs> there, there's nothing here that speaks to actual chemistry. You know, they've got a bunch of, of science-y type words that they seem to want to throw around, and, and they're trying to sort of frame that out with this sort of, you know, biological personal attraction thing okay cool and, and then you know, <laughs> yeah and 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 then you've got the you know the one the one little bit of chemistry that i thought was actually in here which was the h2o obviously which is you know you know and, and i the fact that i thought that they were singing the chemical structure of, of or chemical formula of water was kind of goofy, but when I look at the lyrics written out, and it's H T O O, like as an H going to O, it's like, oh God, what the hell? Yeah, it's just you know. It, <laughs> so I I I just can't. There's a there's a I J K and L, right? Between H two O, right? Uh. Yeah, I J. Oh no! Is it electricity? <laughs> oh. Is it biology? Is this a dad <laughs> joke? It biology seems to me it's chemistry. So you know, like I said, you've been I, helping I, your sons with their homework. <laughs> I, 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 I appreciate what they were trying to do. I just think it is abysmal execution, and I, as a longtime chemist, cannot support. This song, huh? Well, I'm definitely gonna have to go back, <clears throat> go back and listen to this song now. 
<laughs> I, I wasn't going to, but now just because of that, I'm definitely going back. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I think it's interesting because I, I, I've, I really don't think I've given much thought of it at all to myself. I think the first few times I listened to this and I noticed that Getty and Alex read the lyrics and I thought they were, they were cute. Um, but I certainly love the music to this, to this song more than I do the lyrics. Um, and I do like the melody. Um, but as we're talking about it, you know, and I definitely can see Joe, you're coming at it from, you know, the actual perspective of chemistry, right? H2O and, um, you know, all of that stuff, you know, and I, you know, I, I, as I'm looking through here, the lyrics, um, you know, signals transmitted, message received, reaction making impact invisibly. Um, elemental telepathy, exchange of energy, reaction making contact mysteriously. Um, and, you know, and I think it's more about that, that um, sort of that unspoken connection that people have, whether it's in a relationship or in a working environment or musically. You know, you say people say it all the time. We say it all the time. Watch my kids play hockey, and you see a bunch of kids get on the ice in a line, and you're like, "Man, those kids have great chemistry." There's just something that no one really knows what it is, but they just click together. And um, and I, I kind of feel like um, that's what that's that's more of it. Um, I don't know what the hell H two O is supposed to mean, though. To be honest with you, um, I, you know, and, I think. I think it's just them being clever, but it's not really good clever. And 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 I think you're absolutely right, Paul. Um, you know, it 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 it's nothing more than than them being clever. Um, yeah, it's a know, clever it's a clever song. Yeah, you know, clever lad. They're they're they're, they're word playing. You know, it's like you know the the cover. You know. Signals. Mm -hmm. Oh, a dog smelling a peat on fire hydrant. Ah, isn't that clever? Yeah. You know, I, I get it. I usually don't care about the lyrics to the song because I'm too busy going. Playing air guitar in the car when I'm listening to it. Sounds dangerous. Hey, there's there. So one quick thing. This was the song I wanted to talk about this with. So, and it's, again, it's funny that, that Colby can't make it today because he's the one that sort of um, generated me f searching out this. So Colby had a friend named Rob. I don't know if you guys um, ever, you guys probably met Rob along the way. I think he may have been at one of those um, New Year's parties, actually. Um, Rob was known for a great many things, not the least of which was showing up at one of our um, apartment parties and, and um removing himself into Colby's bedroom for a little while and then coming back out into the party wearing nothing but a sock. And, um, oh but okay. one of so he, he was, he was a fun, he was a funny guy. Ugh. One of the things that I do believe that Rob also did was collect tour books from the rush tours that he had gone to. And somehow he had collected them from um, many tours um, prior to his, um, his age. So I remember having an, at college, I remember we had, I think we had every tour book from moving pictures 
all the way through to whatever was at the day, which I think was, you know, we, it was before Presto came out. So it was probably Hold Your Fire. I may have even been at Presto. And, and so I have sought out to see if these tour books are captured online. And sure enough, there is a website called rushvault.com and there is a section of tour books. And so there is, they, if anyone put effort into their tour books, Rush did. The, 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 the tour programs were epic and you can read them all on, on this website. I'll put it up um, on the Facebook notes if I ever do that. But in the tour book for signals, there are some, they, Neil Peart writes this whole thing where he basically talks about each song and the circumstances surrounding the writing of each song. So there's these great, there's these great stories about, um, you know, how they came up with subdivisions. You know, they were on a boat ride when they came up with like um, Digital Man. And, um, and I, I, th I thought one of the coolest stories was about this song, Chemistry, because they were on the road during the Moving Pictures tour. And, and you know, nobody remembers where it was. All they know is that there was a sound check. And as they were all doing their individual stuff, they all started writing, you know, they were just jamming on different parts. And he said that Getty is sound checking his keyboard and plays the part that will origin that ultimately becomes the bridge. Alex is checking his guitar and he's playing the, the guitar riff in the verse. And then he ends up doing the drum beat. And it wasn't until after the tour when they were sifting through sound check tapes that Getty and Alex like kind of found these things. And in the one sound check in that afternoon, they basically had the song all there. They just had to kind of edit the pieces together and, and kind of thought, and I just thought that was really just fun and cool because you always think about, you wonder if songs ever get written on sound checks and boom, there it is. Wow. Chemistry. It's a shame they didn't give it better lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Brutal. Yes, yes it is. Okay, can we talk about a better song? Gosh, it's only three songs in the album so I, far. We gotta pick it up. Yeah, we'll breeze over the end. Okay, so Digital Man is pretty good, right? Is it? Crickets. Oh my god. No, no, you're killing me. I, I actually kind of like the whole Zion thing, you guys. Oh man. He'd like to spend a night in Zion. He's been too long while in Babylon. He'd like a lover's wings to fly on to a tropic isle of Babylon. It's corny, I, but I think it really works. I I I don't know. I I honestly don't get it. I, I don't know, is it, is it supposed to be some sort of a companion piece juxtaposition to Analog Kid? Yes. Or, okay, yeah. great. But I don't, so, I don't get it. So what's interesting is, according to those program notes, Digital Man was written before, and Analog Kid was written as a companion to Digital Man. Ooh. But I'm, I'm agreeing with you, Joe, that I like the analog kid better than Digital Man. Although Ken, I would, I would, this is, this is like of all the songs, I would love to hear Digital Man produced, like in Grace Under 
pressure because I think this song among all the others is the one that kind of feels like it belongs in grace under pressure, right? This is kind of where they were moving to, you know? Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, 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 you know, the uh, comparisons to the police on this are just so like frighteningly clear Um, to me. It's a little bit annoying, but Mm. Okay. All right. Why don't we take on the weapon then? Wow! Just like that, we're moving. Wait, we're moving on. Wait, wait, wait a second. <laughs> Ken's, Ken's looking at the clock. He's like, "I gotta go. I gotta go to work, man." Mucho, anything on Digital Man before we blow by into the weapon? I'm good. Okay. The, the, the only thing I'll add about Digital Man is that in the notes that I was reading in the tour book, Neil Pert talked about. The ideas as they were putting this together, and they really liked this direction. This was what they were trying to do. This is where they were trying to go. And they, they, he talked a little bit about how Terry Brown wasn't a big fan of it, and he was trying to kind of refine it back to some of their other sounding stuff. And for for whatever reason, this song they really stuck to their guns, and um, you, you know, and and. It just kind of, to me, was a prelude to, you know, his departure. Mm, I can see that. A little bit too much reggae, maybe. Yeah, and we need to, uh, we do need to touch on Terry Brown here, maybe at the end, and his relationship with this album, or his thoughts thereof. So, absolutely. So, um, yeah, The Weapon, part two of Fear. Now, we I think we talked about this with Moving Pictures. Fear actually shows up in reverse order from moving pictures through grace under pressure, which makes no sense. Paul, I want to say at some point you had told me you had played the three parts of fear like in order and it didn't really resonate at all. Um, I don't I don't actually think I did that. I think I wanted to. I may have read the lyrics. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I had meant to read the lyrics and I don't know that. Well, I didn't get a chance to do that. I like we should do it. We should do it. Let's make a, a Spotify playlist. <laughs> I like I, I like this song a lot. Um, the the note I have here is that it's it's perhaps the best of the trilogy. Um, hmm. Generally speaking, I really really love this uh, this track. Um, I did have a note here that the noise section at around four minutes is weird. Kind of new, uh, new wave. I don't know if it's new wave. It's just weird. I would, I would call it new wave. Okay, we'll <laughs> go with new wave. It fits in with the whole flock of seagulls thread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure does. Any other thoughts on the weapon? Go ahead, Joe. No, I was just going to say because it, it, it is. It, it's, it's. I find this song to be very powerful and sort of creepy. Mm, I agree. I agree. I, agree. I mean, it doesn't yeah. really have life beyond this album. You could say, you could say that there are only a couple of tracks that made it into the live shows, right? From signals. I think so. I don't really know, but you know, mostly just subdivisions. And, um, Probably New World Man for a while there since it was released as a single. Yeah, there were two singles on this album. Subdivisions and New World Man. And they both made it into live shows. And some of these other songs are kind of in the rush dustbin, right? Yeah. 
Analog Kid wasn't a single? I seem to recall hearing that on the radio, but, you know, but yeah, certainly I think the, the, the three parts of fear, you know, never even approached singleness. And I don't know, you know, having never seen Rush until very late in the game, you know, I wouldn't know what they, what they would have generally played or not, but I I guess I would have been surprised if they had played any of these. Um, Yeah. I, I, you know, I, um, we should do an, we should do a little bonus episode on the fear uh, quartet because I I don't know that this is I think I like um, the enemy within uh, as as the as maybe the best of the trilogy although the weapon I would think is a strong strong second um, it's interesting though they did like a Star Wars a George Lucas here right they started with you know yeah part three or whatever anyway um, I. I- Another one, another one is that there are moments in this where they go into sort of these abbreviated bridges, and it's it's usually after the um, the controversial words, Joe, um, weapon to be held against us, weapon to be held against him, uh, weapon to be used against us. They come up, they they do these like you know fake endings where instead of resolving back, they go to a different thing. And there's some really cool keyboard stuff going on sometimes. And again, it makes me wish that, you know, maybe they called up the flock of seagulls and got some, you know, cooler sounding and different things going (laughs) on. And I, and I I think they do more of that in power windows and in later, later records, which I, which I think are very cool. Um, So again, I, maybe all of these things are are kind of why I felt the way I, I did at the beginning, because I feel like we're getting glimpses into into what they're trying to accomplish, but they're they're not really getting there. They're not really getting there. I know this was a big a big. Um, I, I want to say this was a favorite of Jay's. The weapon. I remember him playing for the, this for me specifically, and really liking it. <clears throat> That's interesting. Uh, may I may I suggest um, just in, in the alternate universe somewhere. Trevor Horn is producing the Rush Fear Song series. Just imagine that for a while. Take it with you. It probably sounds <laughs> amazing. <laughs> It'll never happen. I like that. I would like that a lot. <laughs> I thought you would. <laughs> so, um, okay. Shall we move on to New World Man? Yes. This... It is a great song. Agreed. Yeah. You know, and, and for for me, this this song is is probably the highlight of Neil as a lyricist. I think he conveys a very interesting message in in a in a catchy way without being heavy handed. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, my perception, and again, we'll see as we get further down the line, my perception is in in the later albums, Neil becomes very ham-fisted with his lyrics. He just, he uses them as a sledgehammer to just bludgeon everybody um, without, <laughs> sort of, w- without any sort of subtlety at all. Um, but but here, you know, I, I just, I, I love... 
you know, he, he, he creates the images and he uses the same structure, but he mixes it up a little bit each time he goes through. Um, and you know, I, it, it really does seem to sort of capture an idea, you know, the idea is maybe based in hubris. I, I don't know really what he was going for um, in, in describing the new world man here. Um, I can't decide if it's, if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, how life was in the, in the early eighties and everything else. And it just, it seems to fit extraordinarily well. I, I think he did a, a great job with, with the lyrics on this. The thing that, you know, the thing that I love about this is like, for me, signals is all about adolescence. Like it just talks about, um, maybe it's not all about adolescence. In fact, a lot of it isn't, but to me, one of the recurring themes is adolescence. And, and this to me is a, you know, this, especially right now with, you know, having the fun of raising a 17 and a 15 year old, um, (laughs) I've never felt like more of an old geezer than than i have in the in the recent weeks where i'm grounding my kids and i'm having these just crazy discussions with them about drugs and drinking and sex and it's just non-stop and um that make, sounds like a better podcast can we do that <laughs> <laughs> we'd learn a lot more <laughs> and i love so this is hitting me a little bit more now, but I've always kind of felt like how this song is the new world man. He's, he's like a little bit of everything, right? He's, um, you know, it's all the sort of the cliche type things here going on, but, but, you know, he says, you know, ultimately like he's got a lot of problems with his poisons, but you know, he'll find a cure, right? Overall, like there's a lot of issues going on here. The younger generation is, certainly inferior but they will somehow figure it out and they will somehow you know carry on and whether they make the world a better place or not it's going to be a better place for them i i don't know if that's really what's going on here but to me that's kind of how it is and i've i've always enjoyed that there excellent man how come your kids just can't have like guitars and drums like we did man that's at least i know i they Oh, so true. (laughs) Don't get me started. Um, Well, you know, I don't know how I can continue. Paul, you say, you know, you have a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old, and I'm just like, I'm just like paralyzed. Like, that just, (laughs) I can't, I I can't even think about anything else other than that, the fact that you have a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old. I'm not that, I'm not that far behind you and i know joe you're in the same um age range with uh your kids but um that's just it makes me feel old um so thank you for that paul anytime Uh, anytime guys this new world man really reminds me uh of a good king's x song in the way that it's just like a it's a it's a po- kind of a power pop song that has a really interesting instrumentation 
great lyrics, and it's just like uh, it's like a pop rock song that has um, just a lot of beautiful things going on, and it sort of earns the name progressive rock, even though it's not a progressive rock song because it's just it's it's a it's a pop song flipped in a completely different direction, and uh, everyone's part is just so beautiful. Everyone's part is so well-crafted, uh, and we haven't heard anything like this before. I mean, I've never heard of a song. I never, I could not compare New World Man to any other song, uh, even now. Um, so, you know, back in the day, I mean, this was, um, nothing like this was, was ever heard. And I, I, it just, I mean, like you see, I won't reiterate what you guys said about the lyrics, but the lyrics are great. Everything just comes together. And you just wish that pop music was more like this <laughs> because it's, you know, what this is what, like a four minute song. Okay. I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not a long song. It was a single. Here we are on that other topic. Um, you know, Rush having better um singles <laughs> than king's x but um it's just it's just um rush really knows how to write that that song and um it, it doesn't need to be a super super long length uh but it's just it, it just everything comes together and it just it, this song in particular really reminds me of you know, one of the things that we would always talk about in the King's X episodes uh, and, and why we like a lot of those songs. And you can take the reasons why we like those songs and really put it into this song in particular, because this song uh, really has that template, if you will, of it being just a really interesting twist on a, on a pop rock song. I, I I'd like to, you know, Tom. I, I I totally hear what you're saying, and I'm I'm completely on board. And maybe this is a good time to put this in because I've, you know, the last couple of days I've been working up the 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 twenty one twelve and a farewell to Kings episode. Hmm. Can we just talk about Getty's vocals at this point hmm. and how smooth, flawless? whatever you want to say that they are. I mean, when you think about where he came from with the screeching and the screaming and everything else, and, and here you got, and I think new world man is, is a really good example of this. You know, here you've got a guy who has, has learned how to operate the, the instrument, if you will. And he can, he can really convey now, you know, this, this sort of uptick in emotion without, really breaking a sweat and it, it just it sounds great I, I yeah on that virtuoso scale you know we, we we you know we can say that maybe his keyboard chops don't match eddie van halen's keyboard chops but eddie van halen kind of doesn't sing for shit so you know getty's winning um <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> if you put the bass together with the vocals that's an amazing combination you know the yeah. keyboard is just the icing yeah no, and 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 absolutely, uh, I'm good with that. Yeah, I you know this it's I, I missed um, the moving pictures uh, episode, and you know 
one of the f- amazing things to me about moving pictures is the transformation of Getty Lee. Like he, you know, he, he is a bona fide vocalist. If he wasn't already in permanent waves, he is a bona fide vocalist in, in moving pictures. And I think it continues here and, and he's within his own. I will say this. I do think that there is somewhat of a lack of variety in the vocal line of subdivisions, which, um, maybe, maybe is what I find so lackluster about that song. And I will say this, and we haven't gotten to countdown yet, Joe, but I wonder if while Getty was cutting the vocals for uh, countdown, if there was any suggestions that he jump up the octave during some of those parts, um, to uh, to really belt it out because there's so much energy and buildup in that song, and uh, his vocals never quite I think match the 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 rhythmic energy of that song. Just just throwing it out there as an opinion. Yeah, um, he he went where no man should go in his vocal range, and in the later years he paid for it. He just didn't necessarily reproduce all that. But you know what though, if you think about if you just close your eyes and imagine the screaming happening in Batches Plateau in the middle of the Fountain of Lamneth. No, not that song. I'm sorry. It's not that song. It's no one at the bridge when he's like screaming out in desperation. Like you think about that sound and then, and then imagine him singing the bridge from losing it so beautifully and so smoothly and so accurately it's amazing it's the same guy it really is and losing it if i could ju- jump in there did we did we talk about that yet <laughs> no, no, that. no 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 that, that that's a really interesting song we that, almost lost it ah, ah it, it, that it is it is interesting paul what do you got to say about it one of my favorite rush songs really yeah i you know i I love the odd time signature. I love the arrangements, the funky electric violin shit going on. And See, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of the electric violin. Uh, yeah, yeah. guest performer. He does a good job, but it's it's a little bit out of place. It it just it sounds it sounds too much like another cheesy keyboard line. Hmm. I mean, I, but I think, all right. The, the, yeah, go, Paul. Go, Paul. Yeah, I, I love everything about I love that Alex is so on with this, the little the little melodies that he does, like in, in between the first and second verse. Like the, the the guy is just a master. And you know, sometimes, you know, analog kid, he's blazing notes, you can't even hear what he's playing. And this one he's just playing do 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 I mean it's just like wow dude. Um and I'm I'm total sucker for the the lyrics of um you know the 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 dancer struggling with you know not being able to keep up physically the writer not being able to to write the way he did before um and then the bridge the summer born to move the world to live their fantasies most of us just dream about the things we like to be ugh like it's amazing when you think about Neil Peart writing that lyric as he is touring the world over and over, it, it's amazing to me. I love it. 
So apparently these lyrics refer to two Hemingway novels. I have never read any Hemingway, so I'm not familiar with the subject matter. Either of you guys, any of you guys know anything about this or? No, no. Apparently, apparently it has to deal with the sun also rises and for whom the bell tolls. I mean, the, the song is just a morality play. I mean, uh, 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 the two characters grow old and lose their skills, but the last line is that it, it's better to have lived than not at all. Um, but it's yeah. depressing. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, I mean, it is, and it, and that's I got you know I. I kind of have to be in the right mood for this, and I guess I was surprised that that you know, Paul, this is so high on your list because it is. It's it's a it's a bit of a downer, but um, one cool thing do I do I hear a Glockenspiel? Mm. Wow! Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can try the wikis. Hold on, I'm going to go to the liner notes and see if they credit anyone with a glockenspiel. Not on the wikis. It's only the Tama drums, Avidus Zildjian cymbals, Wuhan China type cymbals, and percussion. The Wuhan that 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 sounds like it could be its own movie series. Wuhan. <laughs> <laughs> Wuhan Five. Wuhan returns. <laughs> <laughs> Wuhan six splash of Wuhan. <laughs> yeah, Wuhan, right. China. I don't know. It's coming up. It's coming up. Can yeah, we still it. it though? <laughs> I I I I think there's a Glockenspiel. And I dig, uh, I dig anything with a glockenspiel. Now, ironically enough, I don't know if we can hear this on the recording, but my my bells are tolling, and and Ken looks like he desperately wants to uh, to get out of here. So, <laughs> I will I will do my utmost to contain my unbridled excitement for countdown. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, oh, what? I have my own. I I have a little. Something I want to do before the countdown. I have my own countdown before the countdown. Uh -oh. um, my fun factoid. Ooh, yes. Oh, here it is. Is Neil Peart's 10 Rules of Success. Ooh. So the 10 rules will be a countdown. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, now, this was in an interview that of, of Neil's. And after each of these rules, he obviously expanded on them, and it was a very interesting interview. Um, obviously, I, I'm not, I can't say it like he did, so I'm just going to sort of read the rules, um, and we can sort of envision the wonderful things that he would say after um, each of these. But knowing what we know about Neil and Rush, um, they kind of stand on their own. So uh, I, I think I can get away with just running through the 10 rules real quick. Uh, okay, so Neil Peart's 10 rules of success. 10, never stop experimenting. Number nine, 
find your inspiration. Number eight, create your own ideal audience. Number seven, don't read reviews. <laughs> Number six, infect people with your fire. Number five, create what you like. Number four, learn from others. Number three, get out of your comfort zone. Number two, be restless. Number one, earn your audience. Those are Neil Peart's 10 Rules of Success. I will put where I got this interview from on one of our socials. I have to cool. find it. But um, cool. it, was, it was a very interesting interview. I, that's awesome, Tom. I just found a video on it on um, YouTube, so I'll, uh, I'll put that on the notes. We have a, a pretty robust set of notes from this episode, more, more so than any other Rush episode so far. Oh, wow. Okay. Great. Awesome. Well done, Mucho. Yeah. That may, be your, that may be your number one tidbit uh, fun fact so far. The palaver right there. Oh, well, I'll have to I'll have to come out with another one next week. Oh, yeah, did you want the cynical response to that? <laughs> 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 he pulled half of that shit out of the 1943 Ayn Rand novel. <laughs> 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 it's referring to the lead character, architect Howard Rourke. So, uh, Ken, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and i made it a, a quarter of the way through that damn book and it's killing me I, I can no longer listen in the car i have too many it podcasts and 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 proofing all of our palavers so <laughs> uh, it's difficult to be us <laughs> all right joe okay so my bonafide oh, so joe no, never mind. Sorry. Go ahead. No. What? Please. You can't. We, I know you said. I know you said you wanted to do t something about Terry Brown. I don't know if you wanted. If you want to talk oh. through countdown first, or sure. Yeah. So you know, there was there. There seems to be the the suggestion, urban myth, whatever you call it, um, that Terry Brown didn't care for this album or didn't want to be involved with this album didn't like the songs or the direction the band was taking. Um, you know, I've, I've heard it posed a, a couple of different ways. Um, and I was curious as to if we could ascertain the veracity of that and, and understand what the relationship was between Terry Brown and the band and or this album, um, which, you know, because ultimately this was the last, the last album produced by Terry Brown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, did we learn anything? Was anyone able to dig anything up on this? I I found a, a YouTube interview that I'll post. That is um, I don't even know what it is. It's at some kind of um, gathering of Rush fans, and he did like a, it's an hour and a half interview. It's really awesome. And I don't know, Tom. I don't know if 
Um, if you've seen this one, because I, I think you had mentioned some of this stuff that he was talking about, but it actually goes through album similar to the Palaver. He goes through Rush, Rush's catalog album by album. Um, I haven't. I'll definitely look into it. The the short of the the long is that you know he you kind of like we mentioned before about you know he didn't really like the direction that Digital Man was going. He you know they were kind of moving in that sort of experimental. They were experimenting with things that I guess at the time, although he was okay with it, he just didn't. He wanted Rush to be the guitar oriented band, like I, I guess. Um, but but the short of it was that you know as they ended the album they they weren't really on the same page in the direction that they were going and and um and so he you know he said for them it worked out to be very well bands need to evolve and and um and that's and that's what they did and as far as i could tell based on you know all of the things that he was saying that he's still in you know keeps in in touch with them on a fairly regular basis although it seems like um, Neil is somewhat of a recluse in his uh, in his older days, um, but he did unequivocally say that he loves the album Signals, that he thinks it's awesome. So, which me- which means he likes it more than me, I guess. I don't know, just a little. <laughs> he's a he's a charming fellow, and you know it, it's. It's pretty cool, like how down to earth he is in his conversations with people. It's uh, you know on that I've seen on videos. It's it's neat. That's all. I, that's all I found though. Cool. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, so countdown. Um, so if if I look at the 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 CD booklet here, um, it, this song is dedicated with thanks. To astronauts Young and Crippen and all the people of NASA for their inspiration and cooperation. So my bona fides here. I am, you know, as you guys obviously know, but our listeners in Palaver may, may not know, I am a certified space nut. Um, we know this. I I have um, I have actually applied, or back in the day, I applied twice to the astronaut corps. Um, I did not get in. Apparently, they don't take people with high blood pressure into space, which seems discriminatory. But there you go. Shit, um, I, <laughs> I, I have ridiculously low, but yeah, keep going. Yeah, there you go. And and my three boys, their middle names are each named after Apollo astronauts. Ooh. And in huh. in particular, as it applies to this particular um, instance. Ellis, my third son, his middle name is Young for John Young, who, um, you know, just to, I'll, I'll try to go through this as quickly as I can, Ken, but I'm just, I'm out of my mind with this whole thing at this point. So I got into the whole space thing um, by reading the uh, a book by Jim Lovell called Lost Moon. You probably know it as Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so my first son, Carter, his middle name is James for Jim Lovell. Um, Aiden, my second son, is named Aiden Neal, because if you're naming people after Apollo astronauts, you probably damn well better name one of your kids after the first man to walk on the moon. Now, when <laughs> when Ellis came around, it was I had to choose. I had to figure out who who was that that third person. 
um, because there weren't really the obvious choices. The astronauts that I personally liked best had names which didn't work. And um, so I, I finally settled on John Young because John Young's um, John Young's resume as an astronaut was off the freaking charts. He was the first man to fly into space six different times. He was the first man to fly into space on three different spacecraft. He was on the inaugural flight of the Gemini um, capsule. He was the first commander of the space shuttle. The guy was, you know, he flew to the moon twice, landed on it once. I mean, he's a, he's a total beast. Wow. Wow. And, and so that's, that's, how, um, that's how Ellis got his name. Now, when obviously, you know, the story with Countdown is, I guess, the, the band was touring and they were invited or got themselves invited somehow to observe a, a launch of the space shuttle. And it seems to be, if you read the story, it says in the spring of, of 1982, <coughs> which, which means they either saw um, STS-3, which was launched in March of 82, or they might have seen STS-4, which was launched later in 1982. I want to say it was the September, October time frame. Um, my guess is they probably saw the STS-3, although all of the communication loops and whatnot that are, are, are worked into this song appear to be from the maiden flight of the Space Shuttle Columbia, which was STS-1, which occurred in April of 1981. So um, that's where the whole John Young thing came in. It, it appears to me that if they, in fact, saw the launch of STS-3 or 4, they did not see um, Columbia launch with John Young as the pilot or, or the commander. But be that as it may... Um, you know, just just some 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 sort of factual flavor about all of that. And for me, being a space nut, one of the things that I like about this, there are there are different communication loops going on during launches, and they seem to make use of those different communication loops throughout this song. And ultimately, what they do is it creates, for me, and, and maybe it's just me, because, uh, Paul, I know you're not necessarily on board with this, but for me, it, it, it really provides almost a 360 view of the whole thing. So one of the things you have is sort of the, um, the outside communication loop. So the, the guy on the, the intercom that people in the spectator stands can hear um, that comes in near the end where he talks about Young and Crippen being really downfield and this, that, and the other thing. Then there is the flight director's loop, and that was you know made um, famous in the Apollo 13 movie. Um, I believe it was Ed Harris was the, the flight director at that point. And that's where all of the, the, the ground controllers are talking amongst themselves and... and um, and verifying the status of the various systems and whatnot. There are a couple of, of, um, of cuts from that loop. And then there's the Capcom loop, which is the, the communication loop between the Capcom, which is, is always an astronaut in the mission control center and the astronauts on the, on the spacecraft. 
And so, like, one of the cool things at the very end, um, they kind of switch through these these different loops. Um, and, and, like, for me, it just, it's really cool. So there's this one part where they're on the Capcom loop, and, you know, the Capcom is talking to the, the uh, to, to John Young, and he's saying, you know, the, the burn was a little hot, so all your calls are going to come a little bit early. So it's letting them know that, that maybe they got a little bit more burn than they were expecting, and so they're going to reach all of their sort of markers, um, you know, a few seconds earlier than than is in the mission plan. So you know, I I think I, I say that because when they put this song together, um, you know, all of this little extra bit that that they they got their hands on, I think they did such an excellent job of weaving it in and out. And I fully appreciate that I'm a space geek and it gets me off. It may very well piss non-space geeks off. It's like, what the fuck, more of this nonsense? Um, but, but for me, I think, I think what they used and the way they used it um, really just, it, it conveys the whole flavor of it. And at the same time, I think it fits in very well you know, with, with the music and the lyrics of, of this song. Um, you know, I've got my, in my notes here, um, you know, I've got, um, that this really is an Alex song. Say what you want to about this album as a whole and, and, you know, whether all the guitars are here or whether they're not, um, obviously they're very full and present here. Um, and, and I love the sort of red barchetta sections that they have in here. Um, you know, to me, it, again, it, it helps create that sort of, of sense of, of, um, of movement, um, which is obviously very important when you're talking about a rocket launch. Paul, you had mentioned earlier sort of the, the way that I think musically and lyrically they're able to build the tension, um, in in this song that you know maybe they don't pay it off quite as much as you would like but but they are very good at creating that sort of tension um you know and, and so you know that's sort of my initial take on this um as as a whole now i do think you know at this point i can then i can go into sort of really crazy crazy territory with with in interpreting some of the lyrics and stuff because what i see here in for this song and, and this song just obviously gets me going if you think about when we started with all of this when neil came in and he was you know in his 20s or whatever and he was reading all of these things and a lot of his you know his lyrics were you know they had this sort of fantasy sci-fi thing going on um, and all of that. And if you look at, at, at all of the, the themes in, in this album specifically, and, and you can kind of see it, we, we have a, a lyricist, a, a man, a Neil, at this point, who is his growing up, and he's becoming interested in different things, and he's seeing things a little bit differently. And I think these lyrics, in, in sort of a little microcosm, really illustrate that because he's talking about you know the magic day when super science mingles with the bright stuff of dreams so you've got you've got the the dreamy sort of adolescent portion and then you've got sort of the grown-up science portion mm. um 
the the star of this unearthly show venting vapors like the breath of a sleeping white dragon. So he's he's using this sort of fantasy imagery that we would have seen in Fly by Night or Caress of Steel um, or A Farewell to Kings to describe, you know, the space shuttle. And, you know, so when I look at this, there's just there's so much here that that kind of gets me going. And maybe I'm taking this too far, but that's where I wind up. Mm. Beautiful. That's awesome, Joe. Super. I, you know, it, the, the, um, in the, in the tour book, there's a, there's sort of the, they detail like what happened up to the days of, of, of them getting to the, to the launch. Cause oh, apparently, really? cause apparently they were, they, they had shows in Texas and they were at the, the, they were at the launch site one day and the show, the, the launch was delayed. And they had to get on a plane that same day to fly to Dallas to do a show, then go to San Antonio. Then they flew back for the launch. And then th- that night they had to fly back because they had to go back to Fort Worth. And, you know, it was, you know, he mentioned like they had almost no sleep for three days while they were, you know, trying to do their shows and get back to the launch and then get back to their shows. And his, instant reaction after it was we need to write a song about that and um and (laughs) i mean just listening to you talk there man you know they hit it out of the park you know that's that's awesome but um like i said for for me and the the things that sort of interest me i you know uh, while i appreciate to the um to the layman, this song may be, you know, not great or annoying or, or whatever. But uh, for me, I, I, you know, I do. I think they, they did it absolutely perfectly. Mm. Mm. I'm definitely going to be listening to this again with a different, a different perspective. Um, you know, I, w- I was scouring through the liner notes to see if, if Mark Kelly got a keyboard credit on this, uh, on this particular <laughs> <track>. <laughs> Oh man! Maybe they maybe they just borrowed his his uh, his keyboard. Maybe maybe that's what they did. I uh, guarantee you, if he was there, he would have sampled the sound perfectly because <laughs> that man never lost a sample in his entire career. <laughs> he, he's he's backed up on multiple hard drives and clouds. And Joe Joe, your your speech and 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 Tom's reference to Neil Peart just just. Gave me an idea. Just humor me here. But, you know, if we have time, possibly we could review uh, what what Neil Peart actually uh, uh, produced online for his um, top 10 rules for business and success. <laughs> I think we could actually do, you know, an episode just 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 on that if we put our minds to it. I am I am all about bonus episode content. You know that, so I am willing to entertain and record anything. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, and and, and you know uh, uh, the, the, the the one that did hit me when, when Tom was reading through it. Um, um, get out of your comfort zone. So you know, pr- pretty standard advice, but uh, let, let let's do that as individuals and with the labor and, and and see where it takes us for, over the next couple of weeks nice yeah. i support it okay Outstanding. 
So that being said, um, gentlemen, we have now beat signals for a solid two hours. Whew. Problem, probably about uh, probably about an hour forty. I think we had some some difficulties getting up and running, but still a very a very. No, you wanted to do two albums at once. You wanted to do signals and grace under pressure, didn't you? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> this is what happens when we take three weeks off, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, I, I had too much time to get up ahead of steam about countdown. Um, yes, yeah, so, but I, I think uh, I think this really covers signals very well. Um, you know, again, I, 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 based on what I've sort of heard and read and seen, you know, signals is not universally lauded. It's not. It it's it splits opinions on on a lot of different. Um, a little different uh, ways, so you know, I, I I think it is what it is. It's 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 not a masterpiece. It's not a piece of garbage. It uh, it really depends on on I think you know where you got in and and what mm. what floats your canoe and what doesn't. It's you know, but uh, you know, I think I think certainly there are some some good things here. So I uh, on on the whole, I like it. Nice. Well, this was fun. Yeah. Gentlemen, Cheers. always a pleasure. Pleasure. And uh, so we'll be talking uh, next week and we will move on to Grace Under Pressure. Nice. Nice. Can't wait. Oh, it's All right. Great. Gentlemen, okay. have a good one. Later, guys. All right. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Progressive Palaver. Um, as you can tell, we really enjoyed having this conversation, and we um, we certainly welcome and encourage your thoughts and and your feedback. You know, what do you think about signals and um, where it fits in the the overall rush pantheon? Um, you can reach out to us through all the various and normal social media methods. We are available on Instagram and Twitter as well as Facebook. Um, each of those, we are at Progpala, P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, or you, you can search us for, uh, you can search for Progressive Palaver, and you should also find us. Um, we also have an email account, progpala at gmail.com, and we do have a YouTube channel, which you can check out a couple of things that we have on there as well. So we look forward to talking with you next time as we continue on considering grace under pressure. episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Russian signals.
Both dogs came in and were much on bones at the second start. Oh, shit, balls. Oh, my God. That was too much.